this is Superfit Seniors with the full story about longevity and vitality. And we're here with the inaugural podcast with the person who is my teacher in an important part of this goal of fitness and longevity, Joe Rabina. And Dr. Joe is what I would you know, like to call him. It's such an honor. He is actually a, a, a doctor of naturopathy and, uh, and he's a martial artist. Um, and so, let's just start off first of all by saying how exciting I am to be here as, as your student for this uh, intensive. I mean, this is a big thrill for me. And, and for us uh, as well, thank you so much for, for the opportunity and allowing us to, uh, to interact together here because what a great, uh, uh, finally when we get to meet uh, in person, it's just great. So, thank you so much for having me. Well, I'm, I, you know, I have the microphone between us, so that gives me some defense because I, you know, I can't help but I've got the book here of the 100 Deadly Skills, and you're in it as one of the most dangerous people in America, which I think is a, this is, you know, it's your chance to, to talk about this new book. So, I mean, I, 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 do I need this? I mean, how dangerous are you, Joe? Well, it depends on, depends on who you talk to, but uh, none of that is going to come to light here. Uh, really, this is... Uh, best-selling author Clint Emerson and uh, boy he you know we're just honored that he sought us out when it comes to the uh, the cane and uh, just really honored to, to be uh, amongst that group and uh, and let others know it, it has the particularity and the distinction you know a lot of talent uh, in, in that book some of them are our friends and um, we're the only ones in there for the cane, right? So you have a, a, a lot of empty hand skills and other tools in there. Uh, but boy, we're just um, very happy and uh, privileged and honored uh, to be able to serve that way with Clint. Well, I, I know you didn't write this, and I probably don't get any of the royalty, but I, I'm sure it's a fun read, and it's great to see Joe be recognized for his leadership in this area. Really, he was a boy wonder if you study him, which I have, and it's my pleasure to, to be here. But first of all, we're here for the intensive. So I, I don't want you to repeat what it is, because by the time people hear this, it'll be over, and you've already got that online. But tell me more in general, what is the, the role of these intensive personals uh, in online training in general, that we're morphing into more and more of online? How important and what role for you do the intensives play? So, so the intensives is what complements the online training. And that's something we had, you know, caners worldwide were being trained by this, even pre-pandemic. This is the way we were delivering it. So when all this happened, it wasn't like a, a really sharp and difficult pivot for us because we had already been doing this. And so it's great to um, communicate across the screen. There's so many advantages to doing that. The fact that you can see the material, slow it down, uh, you have a pair of eyes, trained eyes, looking at you. But then there's some things that happen live that will complement that to really make for the, the total package. And I'd love not just the training and the ability to, you know, I always say the important thing is, you know, if I can put my hands, if I can put my hands and, and, and correct you, and you can feel. There's something that's very authentic about that. We can sit and talk about it all day long. But when you go to the live experience, uh, there's a connection there. There's also, a, 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 aside from the training, a variety of things that take place that we get to connect. I personally enjoy all the side conversations. Inevitably, lifelong friendships have uh, come from this. 
And uh, that's the whole idea behind it, is to have a live, hands-on uh, event, uh, real quality instruction. You know, Ralph, we limit participation. We've done that from day one. And it's just so that we can get around. Our ratio we've determined is six caners, six participants to one instructor on the floor. I'll typically have at this point three to four instructors. I lead it all from the platform. But that's the idea, to have a hands-on experience. Well, uh, to me as a student, an online student, it, it's critical. I thank you for doing this and taking the time. I, I know you're a very busy man. And to give me time during the day, the intensive, I'm really extra appreciative. On day one of that. the intensive, I, I just as we're starting. We're busy enough. But this, is, but this is important. And Ralph, you know, when we say we're here to serve either, we're here to serve or we're not. And we'd like to think that we are. We do it in that spirit. So it's my pleasure always, please. Well, part of the reason I'm, I'm really excited to, to find you, you know, I've been looking for the right kind of uh, self-defense to add to my exercise program, kind of cross-training with, with a, a variety of different things. And uh, to find you, uh, uh, what, what causes you to stand out for me, and I think the people will be listening to this too, is, is the strength uh, of your scientific training and the strength of your, really, your academic studies into this. I mean, I know in the martial arts world they call you the medicine man. I would call you the brain of martial arts, honestly. Or, you, you know, you're definitely a, a, a super nerd. I mean, you go on and on and get degrees. Uh, what, what, what has caused you to, to try and combine these two worlds of martial arts and, and, and healing arts? Uh, such an unusual thing. What, what's, what's driving this, Joe? So very early on, I was exposed to my, as far as martial arts, if we're, we're talking martial arts, my, I have a very heavy background in the Japanese uh, martial arts. And one of those arts in particular, which comes from a samurai lineage, had in it a healing art, a healing component. And so if you, th you think about it, everybody, when they think martial arts, they automatically think maybe self-defense, maybe that's what they're thinking of. And of course, the media and movies, they've popularized it in a variety of ways. But think about it, it is in essence a mind-body integration. And if we're caring about the human brain and the body and we come to the realization that you're not just a pile of bones, uh, right, and that there, there's an emotional component, there's a mental component, then it would make sense that ideally it would have a system that allows you to restore. Right? And so, and so very early on, uh, that was a component of the martial art uh, that I was uh, uh, studied and I had the privilege of, of being trained in. It had a healing arts component to it. I think that's, and that's sparked it, right? And I took it where you have a, com a combination of, of academia in there within the trenches. So you have the academics and you have, um, you have also the in the trenches experience of having done it and, and then you have an integration of that and I think that that's what we're bringing here. What kind of Japanese martial art? So that Jap Japanese martial art uh, in, in particular was a jujitsu system, was a, a, a samurai uh, a aiki jujitsu system, yeah. And, and that one in particular, you know, there was, I noticed that the Japanese you know, they have their finger pressure technique, which is a form of shiatsu, and they work with uh, energy in the body and, and meridians and whatnot. Uh, they placed a special emphasis on the feet in particular. So this art in particular, uh, well, why the feet? And, 
Uh, and then we start, you know, started looking, well, it seems like it's a microcosm that connects the rest of the body. And then over in Europe, you know, as I did further studies, well, there's actually something out there called, you know, the uh, reflexology and zone work. And, and, you know, started putting two and two together. And at the end of the day, uh, you know, all that theory is wonderful. But once we start putting on our hands, the proof is in the pudding, right? And there has to be an authenticity there. At the end of the day, results is, is the bottom line. And we certainly were seeing that right, with, with those methods. I imagine that you were training with sticks too, but it doesn't sound like it. I was not training with sticks at the time because their tool of choice is the Japanese katana, the sword. Uh -huh. And uh, I was enamored with that. The principles all come from sword training. Uh, real important concepts. A lot of those concepts has transferred over to what we do today. And the idea was, you know, we're we're just thrilled with empty hand skill sets. But all the major arts, the tool, the sword, was the major art. So a, a samurai wouldn't think of going empty handed into a, you know, into a confrontation. It was the sword. And then for times that you couldn't draw your sword, you found yourself. But, but it, it's a very important principle. The principles of the tool taught the empty hand. And that is a model that has trickled down to what we do today. With American cane self-defense. Well, I've uh, not trained in Japanese arts. I certainly read uh, many of the books and some of the classics, and they're talking about Tahara and the key energy. I think for them it's Ki, C-H-I, and uh, and then you went with naturopathy instead of the traditional medical doctor route, and uh, it's easy. I mean, for me to see why I'm positing. You learned from you know early on all about using this force, not in an abstract, but you use it. And now it's, well, tell me about naturopathy. How's that different from uh, regular medical training? I know it's four years. Right, and, and there's a, I'll make the distinction uh, there. So there's the naturopathic doctor who uh, follows, uh, you know, the first do no harm principle, uh, uh, right? And, and uh, nothing invasive, no use of medical drugs. Today you have naturopathic physicians who do go the route of uh, starting ph pharmacology. My understanding is they even do um, uh, minor surgery. So I don't do that. That's, that's not what I do uh, under that realm. But it's really uh, uh, looking at uh, all the natural components. So where do you get these medical drugs? Well, they come from herbs. And so herbology is part of that study. So is uh, uh, the field of homeopathy and so nutrition and proper care of the body and exercise and clean living and a, a variety of uh, my my area of specialty was putting on the hands so very early on as a child um, I learned that I could do things with my hands <laughs> very early on right okay. so uh, hands hot feet hands heating up Right, involuntarily. So when I would put I did my not hand, know this, Joe. Yeah. This, is, this is something new. Here. Well, that that's that's where it, it comes from, and there was always, wow. there's a lot of stories. There's a lot of stories that students can tell um, about. Hey, you know, there's something about putting on the hands, and and you know when he puts the hands, and so I realized this, and uh, I had no idea uh, until I uh, ran into. Oh yeah, you know, you're an energetic. Uh, uh, there's electricity there. You can measure this, right? So you can measure. Uh, heart activity, uh, you can measure brain activity as well, and, and, and it's no different. You know, it's no different with this. So, uh, naturopathy focuses on that, and my thing was body work. And so, what I needed, what I did 
uh, afterwards was go ahead and be, to play by the rules. Florida law says if you're going to put your hands on someone and you're going to be doing any type of body work, then you need to be a licensed massage therapist. So I had to go back to school. I went the entire route and did the whole medical uh, uh, massage therapy uh, program taught at the college, taught um, anatomy, physiology, and clinical uh, therapy uh, at the college. Uh, I had she was a nerd. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. That, yeah, you in that, in that not area. only get the license, you develop, have to teach it. Yep, develop, develop a, 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 a proprietary way of doing that and, and taught it for CEs, for continuing education as well. I taught that. And uh, still to this day, I'm, I'm in private practice. So uh, what I do is put my hands, uh, people come in for seeking pain relief, a lot of times uh, things that they haven't found a result. Um, with in, in conventional care. We don't make any promises. We don't make any medical claims whatsoever. Uh, we just vow to go ahead and listen to you and then uh, see if we can coax the body uh, back to a state of balance. And th this is a well-established practice. Uh, maybe not everyone has heard of it, but uh, I mean, it was, I think you, uh, uh, for a time anyway, were a certified quantum touch, I think it's the trademark term, quantum touch practitioner developed by a medical doctor who's promoted and a lot of research on it. Uh, I mean, this is something that is being tested and used by medical providers, including MDs, uh, all over the country. I was the one to introduce it here in Miami. I was the first uh, to introduce that here and took it all the way through there. Yep, uh, that was part of that at one point. Now, I mean, it, uh, so, you know, my background's a lawyer, and I, I know Florida's very conservative. I mean, and, and Many states, you would be Dr. Robina. Uh, I know you wouldn't do necessarily surgery, but here they just don't recognize it, and so they do re require uh, uh, the massage therapy. And um, so the the work that you give, the, your healing work, involves um, using physical touch to impact right. the energies on the body that Im that then impact the physical body too. So what I do, the the crux of what I do is I work with the nerve system, and that's that's my whole specialty, uh, is how can I be a mediator of uh, uh, to the brain and communicate to the brain the nerve system that essentially runs everything. And the analogy I always use is, Ralph, if you go to a hotel, you go to an establishment, and you don't like the service, something uh, you know that, that you need corrected, you can talk to the person who's serving you, you can talk to the manager. I, and I'm using the analogy in the human body, I go straight to the owner to the boss, and that's the brain. And so what I do is I, I go there and I send messages. There's a variety of ways that you can communicate with the nerve system to quiet down. And so we used to use, I think in one of our uh, web pages for, for therapy, um, it says experience the touch that quiets you. And why, why is that so important? Because nobody ever comes in uh, on that aspect of it and have to say, you know what? You're not stressed out enough. You need more stress in your life. You, you need to get revved up a little bit more. We need more sympathetic overload. Quite the opposite. All, what we need is a quieting down of that nerve system. And so that's what I do is communicate to the nerve system that it's okay to let go. Um, and once you start doing that, I in essence give you an opportunity, give the nerve system an opportunity to reset. So think of the computer. You hit the reset button, you get to start again. People say, oh my gosh, you've done wonders for my stress. I, you know, when you analyze and say, well, I can't directly affect what's going on in your life, but what I can influence via the nerve system is how you respond to what's going on in your life. So it's like grabbing the, the garbage can, 
dumping it, emptying it, and you get to start brand new. And that's where people say, oh, wow. You know, I, I, feel, I feel like I'm floating. I feel great. Well, that's what happens when you quiet sympathetic overload, bring in parasympathetic activity, and, and bring balance. Well, this kind of energy work, I think, is critical. And that's uh, one of the things that makes you so unusual. Um, but you talk about how um, you do uh, pain relief and peak performance. And then you mentioned not only athletes, which I expected, but you also mentioned musicians, which I didn't see coming. And talk, talk a little bit about, I, mean, I, I, I think we mentioned pain relief, because I think that's what brings most people. But, you know, I'm interested in, I, I, Knock on wood, I'm lucky, no pain, but boy, I could sure be a lot stronger and a lot healthier than I am, that's for sure. Yeah, and, and so as far, and, and a, good, uh, a good portion of the people that come in, they are athletes, right? And so if you look at it from the standpoint that maybe you're a performer, you're in the arts, you're in the theater, you are a musician, you have to go in there. There's something about when it's, it's go time and, and, and show time and what happens with the stress and once you start producing adrenaline and you're on overload. And so gr great things happen when, again, you're able to communicate to the nerve system and balancing everything out at that level because it has an influence on everything else. Everything from your blood pressure, your circulatory, it controls stress hormones. Right? And it's amazing the microscopic amounts of stress hormone that would be produced to create something really big, right? So um, an example would be at the pituitary uh, level. Hey, it, it, everything has to be perfectly balanced. Too much growth hormone, just a little bit too much growth hormone, you get somebody, right? You get ac acromegaly, you get a giant. Not enough, and it goes the, the other way. So it's, it's a constant yin and yang balancing at that level, and that's under the control of the nerve system. Well, this is pretty advanced. I mean, obviously, you put a lot of thought into this. I mean, I noticed, like, uh, it's, uh, more and more we're seeing the Bachelor of Science in Exercise programs. You got that going back. And, and then you went ahead and, and you got a master's. So wh wh where did you study for these exercises? That's, that's uh, so right here in Florida, Florida International. I'm I'm in, uh, uh, yeah, in FIU University. Yeah, yeah. It's a good school down it here. It is South a Florida. phenomenal school. It's boy, boy, has it changed since uh, uh, I was going there back in the day. But uh, yeah, I, I attended here, and then. Um, uh, now, how did you how did you uh, pay for your way through college? By the way. So I was uh, as an exercise physiology major. I was already working uh, as a personal fitness trainer. And so it was great, you know. Uh, <laughs> the pay was phenomenal. The hours were great, um, and so that's that's essentially how we did, uh, how, how I did that. And, and tell me, what is a master's of sports science? That's what you. So master sports science um, is a degree. So, so in essence, you're taking this exercise physiology and you're applying to sports uh, itself and and peak performance. And it, it, it's pretty wide-ranging in everything, not just from exercise physiology, but also nutrition and um, you know how, how it is that you can go and really function at your very best, methods of recuperation, uh, supplementation that might help. So it's, it's an integrative approach. I'm guessing, did you focus in on martial arts sports? Or? I didn't, it, w it was actually, you know, I had the, uh, the, the honor and the privilege of working with, I was a student, of Dr. Fred Hatfield, 
who is credited in, in the sports science. He's one of the co-founders of the International Sports Sciences Association. And I was essentially a disciple. And I've been reading him since I was in my teens. And very early in my 20s, I went out to meet him and I said, I think I can be an instructor for the ISSA. And I'll never forget what he said. And the ISSA had course, he of course is a legend in the powerlifting field. Others that he had teaching, Tom Platts and others, you know, bodybuilding legends. And he said, young man, the reason that I'm even listening to you is because you took this long drive over here to see me. So there's, there's probably something about you because the average individual is not going to do that, he said. Uh, but, but here's one question. Um, why would anybody listen to you? And that right there was, I mean, that was such an, because when you compare all these other guys, you know, they had a name. And here's this young 20, uh, 20 something year old, and why would anybody listen to you? What have you done? And I said, the reason is because I know my, I you know, took a leap here and I said, I know your material better than anybody else. And I started just reciting one after another, one after another, you know, his principles, things he said, things he wrote in what magazine, at what age. And he was just, he couldn't believe it. He just, he was like, you know what? And so <laughs> he found a spot for me in, in something, in the direction they were moving, and that was in the Hispanic division. And so I'm fluent in Spanish, I read it, I write it, and um, I, I worked there in developing early on and taught for him in the Hispanic division, right here locally, Biltmore. Matter of fact, was oh, the first wow. one that I taught, it was wow. over at the Biltmore Hotel. I, I taught the ISSA certification in Spanish, translated uh, their uh, manual over to Spanish, and. I uh, learned a lot from him because he brought a lot of the science uh, uh, to the fitness industry. Well, you know, most people would have stopped there, but no, you went on and wanted more education. I mean, a, a, a traditional route might be to get a PhD maybe, but, but you didn't. You decided to branch out and go a different way. And so tell us, you know, and, and I know we're getting back to the naturopathy again, but I mean, what, what is it that caused you to change the normal academic route? What is it that caused it in particular is a great question, but I have to imagine that there is a gene in there somewhere because mom and dad were both medical students. And traditional medicine, allopathic medicine. And so when I said I wanted to, I said, you know, um, this is great. We have all the exercise science stuff and we're serving in that capacity. But there was something else. So if you dial back before them, the whole concept of the healing and everything. Well, healing per se is not part. There's some arts there that are missing. They're not part of sports science and exercise science. We have the information, but what about really? What am I gonna do with these hands, right? Uh, uh, yeah, the Lord didn't give me these hands just to, no, you gotta put these hands and, and do what, uh, you know, there's a very strong calling there. And their response was, if you're gonna do that, especially back in the day, even today, right? You say, well, what's naturopathy? It's not like, Everybody knows it's a household, not, not quite. We're, we're going in that direction still, but not quite. Their response was, for that, you just become a medical doctor. And there was a bit of a clash there, uh, more so with, with my father, who was a man of science, and you know, what is this, you know, homeopathy, and what's the science behind it? And we clashed back and forth, right? So my idea was prevention, his idea of prevention was very different, and so there was a clashing there. There was a bit of rebelling on my end. And, uh, but that was, what I was called to do was, uh, I wanted to go that route, that route to, to feel more complete, if you will. There was something missing, and that 
was what was being offered with naturopathy. I found that uh, you could integrate everything under one umbrella. Did I hear that right? You said both of your parents both. were in medical both. school at the same time? Same time. My father was one year uh, ahead. He was an ACE medical student. Uh, Where is he, that? Here he in taught, Miami? No, in Spain. In Spain? Okay. Well, I was made in Spain. <laughs> made in Spain? Okay. Not Cuba. I was not made in Cuba. So my descendants are all... My family is Cuban and uh, you know from S and Spanish descent, and I was made in Spain. So they both had left Cuba, gone to Spain, and uh, yeah, they were med medical students there. So now, are they uh, medical doctors? There, my mother remained in the field. My father did not uh, uh, remain there, and uh, and uh, yeah, but you know, right up until his you know last days, he could have a conversation of anatomy and physiology. He's still very sharp with that. So. A very sharp fellow. Well, I, I see where your predilection to studies mm -hmm. and really understanding it comes from now. I mean, it all makes sense. And, uh, and kind of a rebellion. Uh, you're going to take it to the next level. And honestly, you know, I think most of the listeners here, we, we agree with you. We're glad you did. You know, we're glad you pioneered out. It's a, it's a great story with him in particular. He developed... Um, he developed prostate cancer eventually. He had a, he had a concern, uh, you know, his whole life with that. And I, you, know, you never forget the day he, he lays it on you, you know, and just in casual conversation, oh, by the way, did I tell you I, you know, I tested I prostate cancer? I said, no kidding. He said, yeah. And so he started going radiation uh, uh, treatments. And I remember having a conversation. M my father never believed in the work that I did from a, um, you know, it, it was never at the level of, of allopathic medicine. So th this was always, uh, you know, his thing. Um, my sister, my younger sister, she had a, um, an accident one time, a, a skating, ice skating. I remember late at night, she says, hey, she's got a pain in her neck. You think I can help her? She, my sister called it magical. He thanked me for it. He thanked me for, for doing that, and that was it. He didn't question, how did you do it? What did you do? He just said, thank you for helping out your sister. Uh, he turns out, uh, uh, he develops prostate cancer and his medical doctor calls out to me and says, listen, um, your, your, your father, I, I can't give him any more radiation. You know, he's a, and he's a very stubborn man. He knows it all. And his, his prostate is the size of a grapefruit. So the only thing that I can do is I, uh, I'm suggesting maybe, you know, your stepmom says you're natural, doctor, natural, right, right. maybe there's something you can give him. And, and I said, the only thing I can do is offer to my father. He's not a, so I said, listen, I spoke to your doctor. Worst thing that can happen with my methods, by the way, are nothing. So, and surprisingly, he, he said, yeah, uh, uh, we'll go ahead and give it a try. And uh, I remember when I went to see him, he, he, his weight was probably about 180 pounds. When I saw him, when I went to see him, he was 147 pounds. And I was alarmed, you know, my, my face was like, you know, probably showed because he told me, oh, don't worry about what you're seeing here because I'm not ready to go and this, that, and I asked his doctor. And I said, he said, Joe, it's, it's not the cancer that's spreading or anything like that. It has nothing to do with that. It's just he's in so much discomfort, he's miserable, and he won't eat. And so I said, okay. So we got to work. You know, he finally let me do some work. Uh, I remember being able to tell him step by step because I had done this for so long. This is what you're going to experience. This is what's going to happen step by step. And to make a long story short, uh, within a period of three 
months, he started regaining his weight. He started smiling again. The sense of humor came back. He regained his weight. I remember his doctor calling me and saying, hey, I don't know what you're doing. Uh, do you take insurance? I want to refer patients your way. And, uh, and I remember joking with her because she was a female. I said, but you don't have a prostate. You know, how, are we, how are we gonna do that? She, you know, we had, a, we had a laugh about that. But he then became my biggest fan when it came to the, to oh, the healing. That's so good. Right? So, so right. It, it does have that story and then almost to nice. the point where he tilted completely on the other side, uh, you know, and then started repeating everything that I had, you know, communicated to him about, hey, allopathic medicine, best in the world for diagnosis, this, this, and that. Uh, but this would be an integrated book. He became a real champion of what I did. So, uh, because he had experienced it. He had wow. experienced I'm, it. I'm so glad that had yeah. a happy ending. A lot yeah. of times it doesn't. So True. you were able to, to do that with yeah. your father. I mean, yeah. I think everybody has something like that with their father. Yours is pretty classic. Yeah. Ralph, and, and, and I'll never forget his first time, his first treatment, he commented to my stepmom. He said, he said, this is exactly what I needed. So I think that there's an inner physician in there that knows when you're, you know, when you finally find what it is that would benefit you most, I think that there's something in there in that nervous system that knows and says, yeah, more of this, more of this, right? Now, a, a, a few people have uh, done what you're trying to do, but uh, I don't know that anyone has followed the naturopathy uh, tradition. They've gone acupuncture and more Chinese and, and, and Japanese and, uh, what is the relationship between the kind of thing you're doing by just touching with your fingers and your hands and the energy coming out? How does that compare with acupuncture? Uh, Ralph, there's, there's a lot of overlap. There's a lot of overlap. And so out of necessity, if you're going to therapy school or you will study the meridian system, energy pathways. That's how they view it. And so rather than using something external like, like a needle, and by the way, I think acupuncture is fantastic. I think it's totally solid. It's a mind-body therapy. There's a lot of literature on it and a lot of bottom-line results um, with it. So love uh, uh, acupuncture. Uh, th the difference is now you're using your hands um, to go in there, and it's not just limited to opening energy pathways. There's a lot of overlap there. Right, and so uh, I may go ahead and take it to where what I want to do is release fascia in there. But but there's research that says energy meridians and pathways go through that fascia as well. So there's a lot of overlap. Well, you said the magic word fascia. Now, if I was Groucho Marx, there'd be a fifty-dollar bill to come down. I mean, I love your phrase, escaping the fascia straitjacket. Mm. Uh, as far as I know, you coined that. Would you explain that? I mean, could you unpack that for us? I mean, starting with the basics, you know, what is Hashem and what does it mean? Because I think you really got it. There. So to, to give you, it's, it's in essence, in a nutshell, so it holds the entire body together. <laughs> There's no other way of saying that. So um, for, for people that, uh, that cook, and just to give you a visual of that, you, you cook chicken. Chicken has this skin, and everybody's familiar with that. And then if you peel that skin, there's like a translucent skin. It's very uh, thin mm -hmm. that goes under that. That's fascia. Mm -hmm. That's what holds everything down right down to the cellular level. Now, the literature will tell you if there's any injury, if there's been any trauma, uh, you exercise, you're putting stress on that structure. Uh, a fascial adhesion, right? So you have surgery, you had an injury, there, there's cutting. Uh, the body starts laying down scar tissue and there's fascial tightening there. It can exert up to 2,000 pounds over a structure. And so what that means in terms of, of, of 
not just uh, restricting mobility, circulation, oxygenation, but it affects pain as well. And that's why I refer to it as a straight jacket, because once you start ironing this out, you start coming out of that jacket, great things start to happen because now you've enhanced circulation, range of motion, mobility, oxygenation, nutrient flow, all these good things that start happening. Uh, and I, let me just flash back real quickly to the martial arts. I mean, people know you, it's easy to, to research it, but I mean, uh, how many black belts do you have anyway? What are the various disciplines? I mean, you've been inducted into so many. Yeah. Hall of Fame. Uh, I mean, incredible history, but, but can you, I, you know, I won't know them all, but just maybe some of the names where you have achieved that mastery. Yeah, my, my first martial art was actually, and it's the topic here of the American King Boxing this, uh, this week, uh, was boxing. No kidding. <laughs> my uh -huh. father was the one who initiated, uh, you know, he used to box in, in Cuba, and uh, boy, I really got into it. You know, at first. Wasn't your family had something to do with boxing? We're big, and we're very big, just fan-wise. You know, my dad uh, used to do it. Uh, he wanted to do it competitively. Uh, he, my grandfather, his father, said absolutely not. He, he said, and, and I quote, uh, "You're smart. You have a brain. You're going to, you, you know, you're you're going to use that brain. Uh, you, no, you know, boxing uh, for self-defense and for fitness. But you're going to go to school and you're." And by the time I was 10 years old, I wanted to fight. <laughs> I wanted to be a boxer. And he pretty much along the long side. Granddad was smart. So yeah. he became an MD, a, a uh, doctor, and married it, has a wife as a doctor, and some son as a doctor. Yeah. What, but he wanted to be a boxer. He, he you know, competitively, you know, we just love it. And huh. so the entire family, every time there's a boxing um, event, you know, we would, and to this day, you know, he, he passed. and. Uh, it's never quite been the same, but my family still gathers around, and, and we like that. And so that was the first thing he, you know, as a child, hey, this is how you throw hands, boom, 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 and that helped me incredibly. Uh, once I started getting formally trained judo, attaining a black belt in judo, there was some taekwondo and karate uh, styles that uh, went there as well. And then I, I focused in on what I would call the Aiki martial arts, right, which is all based around this samurai. Uh, Aiki Jiu-Jitsu system, so uh, things like Hakuru Jiu-Jitsu, Aikido, uh, the Daito for you Aiki Jiu-Jitsu, uh, Hapkido. Yeah, I, I taught it here for, for, for many years. So I became a special, quote unquote, a specialist in that uh, area. There were such a thing attaining uh, master level ranks in each one. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's so impressive what you did, and then starting your own school. Now, everyone knows, of course, you're our decaying master and you started your own school on this, but I, I'm not sure I know, how did you come up with this idea? I mean, where, where did it come from? Nobody was doing this, and you just started it. Is it the idea of the, the cane you're asking about? Yeah, so, so I mentioned one of the, one of the martial arts uh, was, was, ha was Hakido, right? One of the martial arts, they did have a demonstration that they would teach to the higher ranks. They would teach the cane, and so, boy, that that was you know at first didn't catch on. You know the cane. The cane with the hook. Yeah, yeah, the J, the J, the J. Oh, okay. Right, right. Oh, I with didn't the, know the that. Horn and crook. Yeah, huh. yeah. They actually uh, taught that, and uh, Jihan J claims Grandmaster. Uh, you know, he claims that he's the one who uh, integrated there. As it turned out, many years later, I met him. Um, in Atlantic City, and there are photos of me. I thanked him for it because I guess if it weren't for him, then I would have never even had seen the concept. But what made sense was I had a re really I had already uh, trained for many years with the katana and different martial art um, 
you know, quote unquote, weapons that are part of that, uh, of the arts and the culture. I said, you know what? Um, that's really neat, but boy, I live in Miami. Can't hang around with a katana, nunchucks, or a pair of size and go down South Beach. Can't do that, hang around with that in your back pocket. Uh, that's not going to be a good thing. Uh, but here's this cane uh, that, let me get this straight, huh, you, you have this, uh, you know, it has a shaft on there with a meat hook on the end, and this thing is legal to carry anywhere. Yeah. I just thought it was so cool that I could train in this one, with this one tool for self-defense and then be able to actually carry it with me wherever I would go. Now, what is odd about that was that I was in my 20s. And so that's, you don't see 20 years and say, oh, wow, yeah, how cool. I want to hang around with a cane you know, and, and do this. And so uh, I, there is, that's what sparked the, the whole thing. And um, just the whole idea of having a tool readily available that, uh, um, you know, it's, it's, it quote unquote, it flies right under the radar. It hasn't been seen as a, as a, as a traditional and you can go ahead and hang around with this. I thought that was fascinating. The, so you thought about it, it was strategy, basically. It just made sense. Yeah. It was something that just made sense. I mean, we put in hours, right, or years, years of practicing this one thing that has other benefits. Don't, yeah. don't get me wrong. Yeah. It has empty hand benefits and uh, hand-eye coordination, but you get all that with the cane, and, and wait a minute, on top of that, as an actual tool for defense, it's an impact tool, and here we go. Oh, great, I can have it, it's already in my hand. It doesn't have to be drawn, I have to draw it. It's already drawn. But you didn't have an injury or something that caused you, I caused didn't, you to use a cane? No, I didn't. Uh, I needed it uh, medically. I needed it many years later, um, uh, not too long ago, I think like three years now, when I, I did have a ruptured Achilles, and there I did use it. Uh, but by that time, boy, <laughs> that was already well. My training was established. It was part of the rehab. It's well documented. Uh, but no, early on, no injury. When um, you often mention how good the cane is for a knife attack, said it's designed for a knife attack. Were you attacked by uh, people with knives? Was not, but I had to study it. I had to study it out of necessity. I had seen what the injuries were. Um, I hate it. They're gruesome. It's a very fast and furious attack. Uh, it's, it's a you know, any, we're gonna see that this weekend here, anyone can avail themselves of a, a knife. You don't need a concealed weapons permit. They're inexpensive. Everybody has a kitchen knife. Uh, and so, yes, our, our basis for it um, it comes from the from knife that I, I needed something really bad. I was looking for something what is the best defense against thing and the answer to that was distance and this thing is tough to beat when it comes to distance yeah. it's already drawn right yeah and, and so I didn't start with uh, your program until September but I watched just in, since September how the cane boxing has kind of has originated and has now become the focus on it why cane boxing this is new, but tell me the, uh, the combination. I mean, I'm sold on it, but uh, tell us why the two go together. So it's new to the public, and I'll, I'll tell you a, a, a funny behind-the-scenes incident. You know Master Master Keith Melton sure. um, over at Game Master, and so he's coming down. He hasn't missed an immersion, incidentally, since his first one, so he is oh just gosh. yeah, walking, talking, living, uh -huh. um, the proponent of, of, of the cane and, and what we do. Uh, but he was doing some of the, you know, we're training the staff and some of the drills, and he's seeing me work with Kiko, the, the lead instructor from Miami over at the headquarters, 
And these two, three, two drills that you're gonna be doing, which they challenge you physically, mentally, it's brain training, it's got it all integrated. And, and he said a comment, he said, Kiko, um, did you just pick up all these drills, right? Because, boy, I'm looking at these for the first time. Kiko said, oh no, sir, I've been doing this for years with him. So a lot of the material that we're bringing, the curriculums that we're bringing to, uh, they're new to the market per se, uh, but they're not new to us. Now, this is, these are things we have been working on uh, before the name is new. And so boxing, because it's based a lot of it on the empty hand component that you're doing is very similar. You're hooking, you're jabbing, you're crossing. It has that component. You're ducking, you're rolling with the punches, hand-eye coordination uh, done with a shorter a stick that's by design, which is designed for close quarter combat. So the really neat thing about it is that, yes, it has the practical self-defense applications. When you set that cane down, you would do the same thing empty hand. And then it also has that fitness component to it. So boxers are known to be some of the best uh, trained. So now you can go ahead and train with this cane. And it parallels boxing, right? But you have the cane, you have the empty hand, and it's a way to train and get fit without getting hit right in the ring. Well, yeah, I mean, it, you mentioned the cane advantages, the distance. Mm -hmm. But what if you lose that? What if they absorb the blow? They got a lot of muscles and they can handle it. It doesn't break their arm and they keep coming at you. Then what? And what if you're ambushed, right? And so we're human, right? And, and so we didn't see it coming. You know, we had a distraction, came out of the bushes, came away from your field of vision, and now you're in a situation where they broke through that. What if you lose your cane? You drop your cane. Uh, who's going to recover that because whoever recovers it has the advantage and what do you do with the empty hand and so uh, this ACB American King Boxing does cover these areas. Well it just makes sense I mean and I don't know if you're a Sherlock Holmes fan but I have long been and of course uh, you know Moriarty was a boxing champion and the two of them in the final fight it was all came down to boxing. And they use you know the, uh, that's where the, the Bartitsu comes from. Yeah. And so we're getting a lot of positive feedback there and uh, because of course they do the boxing and they do the cane, they do a different style of cane, uh, but what they're finding here is structure, uh, where the this is what you do first, second, and third. This is where you are now in the timeline of your training. This is what I have to go, um, as opposed to something that's being patched together right from old text because it never came to be. Some have referred to it as what Bartitsu could have been Right? And that's that's one way of looking at it, and so yeah, we're and, and we welcome uh, all, all those who uh, have an interest there in, in Bartitsu, which was a really neat idea. No, I mean, and I'm interested in the '20s, you know, uh, George Pilate, mm -hmm. uh, you know, who started it. He was a boxing trainer yep. and a boxer too. He was. So I mean, the boxing is part of it. Of course, everyone knows the Jedi not only know the lightsaber, but <laughs> but if their lightsaber's knocked out, they can use their hands and hand. they can use the force, etc. Is that an advanced immersion? I'm not sure if I qualify for that, <laughs> but I want to see that one. That's a surprise. But I mean, the similarities are, are all there. Um, now I had to just get serious just for a second. I mean, here we are. We're, you know, we're both uh, doing, uh, uh, using precautions. We're in a pandemic, you know, in this coronavirus. I mean, what are your thoughts on this? What kind of insights can you give us on the pandemic? And, you know, this one in particular, but just in general, what, what are your thoughts about this? Well, you know, there's, there's the reality of what's happening, right? And just from the, the, the pathology perspective, and there's this, you know, this pandemic and this virus and everything that's going on there. And then from that perspective, 
what's always made sense because it's, it's a battle that's really tough to beat uh, because it's invisible. You don't see it. You only see the result. It's, a, it's an invisible enemy. And so what makes sense there would be to strengthen your immune system and really take care of yourself. And that's, that's part of what we do. We, uh, do we lead with it? Is it the, the leading? Uh, and right now everybody's coming for protection, uh, self-protection. But if you analyze this, Ralph, um, that is a form of self-protection. Uh, I often ask, and I say, and it's not to demean the value of self-defense and personal safety. We're all about that. But I'll ask and I'll say, how many of you were physically assaulted last week and no hands go up? Um, I'll ask, what about the last two weeks? What about last month, no hands go up? How many of you uh, are in pain regularly? How many of you are uh, stressed to the gills? How many of you feel that you could benefit from losing weight? How many of you have health challenges? These are things that we deal with every day. So what, we're, what we do plays a role in that. Right? Uh, Self-care, improving the immune system, taking proper care of the, of the body, but then the mind as well. Because here's what we find. The two biggest emotional components that dip the immune system and just throw everything out of, out of whack are fear and worry. Fear and worry. That one-two uh, is, is really powerful. And so what happens is, I always say, just to, it makes a flick feel like a punch. So it really magnifies everything, those two uh, emotions. And so um, I think if we're working towards that, and, and with what we do, I always say, and the coaches are trained in doing this, if we can get people to hit the pause button right, on those two things, and we can get them to engage mind and body, and just forget, crack a smile, laugh, then I think, I think we're doing something positive during a time of adversity. Well, thanks for that good, good advice. Uh, what about uh, kind of, we're in similar times too, a lot of us uh, have anger problems and anger issues and you know, it's worry, uh, you know, fear, but there's also fight or flight and fight is, is part of it. Uh, and I know one of the things I like about your system is practical, it's, it's not to go around learning how to beat up people, but to be able to avoid uh, confrontation and if, and if you're in one, to get out safely. But uh, what, is there something to be able to channel your anger in a uh, non-aggressive way against people, but channel it out in kind of a sport or hitting a bag or hitting poor old Bob, you know, it's so hard to assemble. I mean, uh, what role does that play in kind of in, in martial arts in, in general? Just, working out our anger by getting rid of it. Because it's a mind and body integration. You can't really just have one without the other. So if I have all this emotional, um, you know, there's the anger and it's pent up and it's been building up, you're gonna need a, the ideally you're gonna need an outlet. And if that outlet would be physical. And you know, there's something about, even in our fitness classes, you take a drone cane. For our listeners that are not familiar with it, it's a padded cane, it's designed for you to make contact without um, you know, breaking something or, or hurting anyone. And you go to a bag, you go to a heavy bag, you go to a stand, a ball bag, and now you go out there and you start, uh, you know, hitting with this. And boy, it, it just, it gives you a safe outlet for doing this. Because, I, I mean, it's what provides that outlet and you do it in such a way that you do it safely. Um, and, and you get to address that instead of penting it up and then have it reflect in different ways that are undesirable and that later on you might regret doing. That's for sure. Um, 
important in your work, we're gonna try and wrap it up with some rapid fire questions. Sure. You can give uh, shorter answers, because mm -hmm. I know you gotta go. Yep. Postures and alignment seems to be an important part of your work with touch. What, what is the importance to you of, of having uh, the right postures, getting into postures as part of an exercise and getting your body in alignment? It's one of the first, it's one of the first assessments we do. So we'll do a, a posture, see where there's deviation, and we'd look to bring that back to what would be best for that person at the stage that they're at right now. Keep in mind that this is the house, right? And the house, in there you're housing organs, it affects circulation, so if my posture, you, know, you can actually be putting pressure on organs and whatnot if, you're, uh, if you have a, a, an imbalance there. So we look to uh, care, proper care of the form that houses uh, organs and everything else that's vital in there. So yeah, it, it's certainly, it's an important role. One of my favorite videos you have is of the staff, the five foot staff, which I brought with me, by oh, the way. Uh, you know, I'm not gonna, you know, I hope to warm up tomorrow yep. on that. Um, and you've talked about escaping the Basha uh, straitjacket, but how important is it uh, to, to be doing this work that people uh, not become stiff, that they maintain flexibility, not just of the Basha, but of their whole body? Important enough that uh, I start my day with it. it it's a daily thing for me. Uh, and, and that's because the focus has been um, all, since this, first, this whole thing started, as far as the physical component for self-care has been to strengthen and lengthen. Strengthen the, the body, strengthen the muscles, and then keep pliability. So the ability, you know, I always say caners should have the, the, the capacity to squat down without pain. They should be able to move. You want that freedom of movement. And it really is a matter of use it or lose it. And it's not more is better, right? We have to train smarter. Better is better. Right, so adding more time to it or doing it harder, not necessarily better. And that's one of the things that I always point out because it doesn't make any sense to tr do more than injure yourself and then right, you go back to, to the starting position. So you really want to know what you're doing with that. But yeah, it's, it's a vital aspect of it. In part of your film, I mean, you're a master uh, and yet you're still practicing balance a little bit too on there. I mean, how important is that? Balance for the rest of for, for the rest of your life. These are all these little components that come into play by what we do. And there's an emphasis now. I'm using the word play. Nobody likes to ex. A lot of doctor, boy, physicians have been trying to get people to uh, to go ahead and do exercise. Nobody does it. If you listen to the feedback and the result, Joe, your program has gotten me to move. Right. You've got our emphasis is in getting people to move, and it's hidden under play. Right. And, so we're playing with this cane, we're having fun with it, people are laughing, good things are happening, and in the process we're getting people to move, and when we move, we know great things happen. Um, another B for me is breath. How important is breath and breathing, and what are your quick thoughts on breath? I'll give you an interest, and this is an actual, I don't do cardio work per se. In other words, I won't go out, I don't go out running, uh, you know, put a lot of wear and tear on the body, and nothing wrong, that's just you know what I find in my practice. Uh, I'm not on a treadmill or on a bike, um, mindlessly pedaling away, not doing that. But I do practice breathing, what I, I, I call reset breathing. My heart rate is just as good. You know, my, my wife puts in a, you know, her time on her bike and because that's what she enjoys doing and that's a whole other thing. If you enjoy doing that, that's great. But my cardio per se in terms of my resting heart rate, or if you take me to the altitude, we go to the mountains a lot, we like doing that. It's just as good as a, a, an endurance trained athlete, yet I don't engage in that activity because what I do is I do that by regulating my breathing. Now, I'm not saying that I'm a you know, world-class marathon runner or the equivalent, that's not nowhere near what I'm saying. But for a fellow that doesn't engage in that, it's just as good 
as people that are doing that. Th th and those are just the numbers, right? In terms of resting heart rate and cardio output. And if you take me out there, I can breeze through going up mountains and different elevations and whatnot. You're not just doing breathing exercises, breathing while you're doing cane spinning. Well, cane well, well, I have a segment where I just, uh, where I just practice my breathing. Okay. There is a type of breathing where you regulate your breath. And when you're able to do that, again, you can regulate the nerve system. And that's the, that's the secret. What, what uh, word do you use? What name have you heard? Reset breathing. Reset breathing? Reset, because we're resetting the nerve system. Nice, yeah. nice. So that's another thing you yeah. teach. Um, okay, now, so that's interesting about aerobics, because uh, you're getting it, you're finding. You yep. would know, you study everything, yep. but not actually by, by running. Not necessarily. There's more than one way to skin a cat when it comes to that. And uh, you get to do it without putting a lot of wear and tear on the, on the body. Now, what about strength training? How is, is, are, are, is it important to have strength? Absolutely, absolutely. It, 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 that's why we say strengthen and lengthen, and strengthening is, is, is just huge, um, you know, especially as the years go by. Uh, things like grip strength, right, which we start. All these other components are really a variation of strength, including your bat, well, I'm not strong enough to stay up. Oh, my, my yeah, I can't stand on one of them because I, I, I can't, I'm not strong enough to do it. So, so strength is like the foundation there. Well, I tell you, as a newbie, but I, I was a golfer for 55 years. I thought I had strong hands. Uh-uh. The cane has really strengthened my hands and arms because it requires it. It is more physically challenging than golf. Sorry, I mean, it be hard-skilled golf it is, but the movement is very physically challenging. Rob, some of your classmates, um, uh, at least one of them, and she's going to be here this week, I know who has... Um, she was able to put her carpal tunnel surgery on hold or, or do away with that altogether because of the strengthening that she's had now from doing it. And again, good things happen when you get moving. But that's just one example. And, and again, we don't make medical claims, but that's the review of, of caners. That's what they say. Now, I'm still intrigued about the music thing because you don't know this, but one of the things I do is I create meditation music and hmm. I have a few CDs out and things like that. Um, how, uh, how important is music to you in your exercise programs? And, and, you know, I, I think I know the answer, but share that with us. It's, it's a part of caning. It's always been there from, from the onset, and I'd love to see more caners do it. The caner circle itself, it's always done to music, and it's just part of the artistic aspect of it. And it, it's crazy because sometimes they'll, um, they'll see me move, and I remember uh, uh, more than one occasion people say, what music are you listening to internally while you're moving like that? Mm -hmm. And what it is is the way that we have it set up, it's almost like we often laugh because you can put any type of music and you're caning and it almost seems like it fits. And are you really listening to that or, or, or how does that work? But it's, it's just a feel-good artistic component to it uh, that brings up the vibe and produces endorphins. It just adds to that feel-good um, aspect of it. Well, let's, let's uh, maybe end on a deeper note. I mean, I, I know from hearing you talk and seeing your post that you are a spiritual person, and uh, it means a lot to you. And, and uh, we know that for longevity, it helps to have spiritual beliefs. Uh, it just to, to gain that comfort and also for community. And the people that are living long have this spiritual connection. They have the God connection. And oftentimes that's part of the community. So I'm very interested in, in hearing, you know, you don't have to 
share too, too much if you don't want to, but I'd like to know a little bit about your, your spiritual beliefs. It's at the foundation of everything. And, um, you know, if you're going to ask me about my faith, I am a, I'm a Christian, you know, Bible-based uh, um, uh, Christian. Well, if you're Spanish, I'm assuming you're Catholic. Uh, I was. I, I was 11 years of Catholic school. Yeah. And um, here's an interesting uh, statistic, and it's not, I don't want to, you know, I have a lot of Catholic friends, and so, all, but, but the interesting part about it was I couldn't tell you two Bible verses. You know, back back in the day, and you know, after eleven years of, of Catholic school, you, you know, yeah, the, 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 the But um, uh, going back to that, it's at the at the foundation. Uh, I talked to the coaches about it, and I let them know that, in essence, what we do is in the spirit of serving, of serving your fellow men. And I, I tell them, listen, I I live by a form, and you don't have to make it your template. Uh, my intent is not to force down my beliefs down anybody's throat. But I also am quick to point out that if you have a problem, you know, with my beliefs and, and the way that I do that, and some days, you know, what I, my beliefs in that are not real popular, um, I'm probably not the guy, you know, that you want to go, go with because, and I'm brutally honest about this, um, because it's interwoven into how we serve. And I'll give you a couple examples. Uh, you asked me about spirituality and my faith. It's at the core of everything that I do. So I, I have this 4F template. You may have noticed I like to structure and like to put things into templates. Um, uh, but, the brain. But it's the, the, the 4F, right? So it's my faith, right? My family, my future, and my fun, right? 4F. Yeah, yeah, 4F. But, but everything stems from that faith. And here's an example. So the coaches that are coming on board with us, um, and you'll often hear us say, and we said this earlier, um, we're here to serve. It's a way of loving your fellow man. And it has nothing to do with an emotional. Everybody, when they think love, you think of a romantic love or a love like uh, you might love your, your kids. Really what it is is a decision to act on that in that other person's best interest. And not only that, but, but called upon to go even beyond that to over-deliver, right, in that person's experience. And that's how we uh, come. We come from that perspective. And I believe that... If you're coming from that perspective, you're covering that, that second rule there that says, love thy neighbor, right? You're here to, to serve your fellow men. And service is a way of loving that individual, which is really just making a decision to act in their best interest. A decision. It's a decision. It, it has, it's not tied into emotional. You know that, if, and anybody who's married know this, and anybody who's, well, it, it just is. Those feelings to keep that going, you know, were so imperfect. Sooner or later, you wake up one morning and you're like, oh, I just don't feel like this today. But if you've made the decision to hold yourself to those standards of service to your fellow man, then, hey, that's just the way we roll. <laughs> that's just the way we do things. Walking your talk. That's so refreshing, so glad, <laughs> so great to meet you. A true legend who walks this talk every day. I'm so excited to be here and start the intensive. And I know you've got a lot to do. Thank you so much for your time. The pleasure's always mine. Thank and you. We'll do the, the, the you bump bet. Of the you bet. <laughs> <laughs> I'll bow bump. <laughs>